Welcome to The Overread, a brand new addition to the Overthink Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Helms, and I got tired of reading books and not talking to people about it, so I'm changing that today. By talking to someone about a book we both read. It's like a club, but for books. Uh, with me today is Keo Edmondson. Um, hey, Keo. Hey, how you doing? Good. And um, no fake, uh, we met, uh-huh. what, 10 minutes ago? Yeah, yeah. I met your brother. Yeah. But you... Not in person. I don't. Wait, wait. We must have seen each other because I was at your brother's wedding. Okay, we we have to have met there. I love that this is yeah. happening uh, on air is that, too. Isn't that how it works? Yes. I, I, I would assume that works, but you're probably dressed up, and so without the tux, I don't recognize you. Right, right. Uh, I normally do wear a tux. I just decided today to go t-shirt. Yeah. Um, Sounds very familiar, though. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure I met you there. Um, yeah. Absolutely positive. But I'm Keo. I like to read books. I like to. Uh, read about writers and their their struggle to write the books that we enjoy so much. So cool. this is this will be a fun journey. And you do AV stuff. So uh, so what exactly do you do? I set up like projectors and uh, video cameras and do things like that for uh, gaming tournaments and cons. And I'm one of those guys that wear black that sit in the back of the room yep. and screw everything up for everybody in the room when it yep. doesn't work. Yeah, yep. I'm that guy, the scapegoat. Cool, cool, yeah, cool. That's cool. me. Yeah, nobody ever wants to to notice you. No. Nope. Uh, do you do you travel a bunch for that, or do you do uh, mostly um, L.A. local stuff? Mostly travel, mostly travel because yeah. they we go where the where those cons go. So cool. I go there. Like next week, I'm going to go to a uh, Pokemon tournament. That'll be Ooh, fun. Fun. Yeah. Do you know anything about Pokemon? No, I know nothing. I I know what a Pikachu is. I can I, I can spot a Snorlax from a good distance, and after that, it kind of trails off. Sorry. I, I literally tried to read an article about Pokemon last night, and I got like half a page in and I just was reading the same sentence again and, and again and again. I was like, I Pokemon, I was just a little too old for it, and my brain can't yeah. handle it. Um, it's good. It's good. Clean fun. Kids yeah. win some good scholarships and uh, uh, yeah, you know, people, you know, it's cash prizes for people. So yeah, it's, no, it's I, a form of gambling, I guess. It's oh, considered yeah. a form of gambling. Yeah. It, it made me understand how my dad felt about like star Wars or something that I was super into. And it would just be like his eyes would just glaze over. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, it's important. You have to know everybody on Java Skiff. I've got to be able to describe everyone. Yeah. And so um, I'm Jason Helms. Uh, like I said it up top, I teach at TCU. I teach courses on web design and video games and comic books and stuff like that. Uh, I'm by no means a uh, SF expert, but we are going to read an SF book today. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, today we're going to talk about N.K. Jemisin's Hugo Award winning 2016 novel, The Fifth Season. The fifth season is the first book in the Broken Earth trilogy. We're going to tackle the rest in future episodes. And uh, she won the Hugo Award for Best Novel for actually the first two books in the series, and she's up for it for the third. So by the time you hear this, you may know whether or not she's won it. But uh, for Keo and I, it's a mystery. Yes, yes. Uh, I got my fingers crossed for her. I'm excited. It'd be something else if she got a third Hugo. Yeah, no one's done it three in a row, uh, from what I can tell, uh, for Best Novel. Also, like how many people write a novel? I mean, a lot of people do, but how many people can write a novel a year? It's amazing. Get it out there in time for this sort of a competition anyway and make it one that is, you know, is not just blather, but it's something that's actually award quality three years in a row. That's I, I can't imagine. I can imagine what kind of talent's going on there. But, you know, what what if she tried to write six books a year, you know, yeah. that weren't up to that quality, but would, you know, they just give us a lot more to read. Yeah. So, I get the, yeah, get the quick cash. Yeah, if winning a Hugo is an endorsement of talent or endorsement of good storytelling, then I guess I would say that yes, I do like this. I I like the series, and that's a good endorsement, at least for me. That it's something won a Hugo. This is something that at least is worth reading to see what it's about. 
Yeah. So before we get into the spoilers, you, you say read it. I say read it. I say read it. It's a as a story, it's different than others. It, you definitely need to get into the you know the environment she's created, but she's created an entire planet with its own forces at work, and you know it's got a you know its own way of life. The people that the the actual planet itself influences the way the people have created the livelihoods that they have even down to what materials that they consider are better than other materials based on the type of volatile environment that they all live in. So it's a very unique environment. Yeah. Uh, any reservations in recommending it? Uh, I would just say that it's, it's heavy. It's adult. Yeah. It does, you know, it deals with, with issues of um, bigotry. Uh, it deals with slavery. It deals with some topics that are pretty strong, very strong, actually, sexual abuse. And those are just part of the storytelling so it can be brutal at times yeah not absolutely. in a i mean it's not uh abusing those stories but they are part of the story so i would say yeah that that is not for kids yeah uh i i would agree uh jemison handles it really deftly um but it's a it's some heavy heavy themes um and i think you can get that just from the opening line so spoilers ahead we're jumping into the book we're going to do this and uh, we'll start by just reading uh the opening few paragraphs uh q do you want to read it or would you like me to uh go ahead this is all yours all right let's start with the end of the world why don't we get it over with and move on to more interesting things first a personal ending there's a thing she will think over and over in the days to come as she imagines how her son died and tries to make sense of something so innately senseless she will cover uke's broken little body with a blanket except his face, because he is afraid of the dark. And she will sit beside it, numb, and she will pay no attention to the world that is ending outside. The world has already ended within her, and neither ending is for the first time. She's old hat at this by now. What she thinks then and thereafter is, but he was free. And it is her bitter, weary self that answers this almost question every time her bewildered, shocked self manages to produce it. He wasn't. Not really. But now he will be. Yeah, that's heavy. Whew. So that gives you a feel for how heavy this book is, if that's the opening. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't yeah, get lighter no, from there. No Terry Pratchett. It's, yeah. Oh, gosh, I love Terry Pratchett so much. Yeah, different, uh, different strokes, different folks. Yeah. Um, I, I also, uh, when we get into personal stories about reading this book, I also read some Terry Pratchett during the same time period. Um, yeah, very, kinda, very different vibes. Kind of for the brevity. For the brevity, I, I did find that a lot of the characters in this book, because of the environment that they're in, it's uh, and we can talk about maybe the setup of the world, so the environment makes more sense, maybe. Yeah, let, let me in fact uh, go into a little bit about the uh, location and then uh, just the background. Uh, written up a quick plot summary, and we'll just kind of trade off. Do you want to start with the uh, the setting? Yes. The, so the fifth season takes place on a planet with one. It's a mega continent called the Stillness. Think of it in Earth terms as the Pangea. You know, everything's just one big block. At least that's what everybody thinks it is, because nobody can venture beyond this continent. You, nobody does sea travel. It's horrible. The problem is, it uh, every few hundred years, this planet undergoes an extinction level event. We call the fifth season. You have winter, spring, summer, fall, four seasons, and the fifth season is death. And it's usually by some cataclysmic type earthquake, uh, an earthquake um, seismic event that causes near extinction um the society has only a few large cities that's what exists currently in the stillness and the rest of the people are organized into small communities they call comms um so some people in this world are born with special powers over this geological energy and these people are called orogenes and they're 
widely feared uh, and hated by the rest of the population um, because they're misunderstood and because they do have power to accidentally kill and cause huge devastation in addition to also having power to stop seismic activity from occurring. So they're incredibly powerful and incredibly feared by the rest of society. Um, oh, there's a group called the Guardians who control and train Orogenes, sort of keep them in check uh, so that they don't harm people, but instead help the comms, and protect them from seismic activity, um, or so people believe. So the Orogenes are the group of, that uh, nobody wants in their comm, but unless something horrible is about to happen and then they want them extremely controlled to prevent, say, a major catastrophe from happening. And on this planet, earthquakes happen all the time. Their entire civilization is based on ancient rules about, you know, comms, about living in a calm um, that people adhere to, you know, like having strong walls. And after a seismic event, you need to board up and make sure you only keep the most essential people inside your calm. And, you know, people carry a runny sack with them at all times. It's in their house, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the sack they grab when they have to run from a seismic event, like an earthquake, volcano, uh, anything of the sort. And so, yeah, their entire civilization is based around the necessity to flee at a moment's notice and, uh, you know, try to survive, basically. Yeah. And it's been going on for millennia. I mean, it's worth also saying that that the civilization they live in, there is evidence of much very far in the you know in the past civilizations because there are these large uh, crystal like objects that float in the air that nobody knows what they're for there's it's such an ancient um an ancient culture that created them that nobody's really sure what they do anymore ancient advanced civilizations are always my jam yeah i mean this world is uh has been destroyed many many times over yeah and it, which makes sense you know uh the people they don't have uh they're not walking around with you know cell phones or anything but at least you understand, like, yes, if your civilization had been destroyed many times over, you might still be, you know, walking around or riding horses or pulling wagons still. You know, you're not driving cars, you know, unlike maybe like a Game of Thrones where it doesn't make sense why they why they haven't advanced beyond medieval times in all those thousands of years with all the knowledge. You got some smart people. Somebody must have should have figured out better electronics by the time we get to uh you know, King's Landing, but they haven't, you know. Right. This book explains exactly why civilization has been, you know, destroyed so many times that so many times the people have forgotten what it is they've forgotten. Yeah, oh, that's a good way of putting it. Um, so our, our story focuses on three women. Uh, Demaya, a young girl who has just discovered that she is an origin, and she's on a road trip with a guardian named Shafa who's taken her to the Fulcrum, uh, where she can become trained in her powers. It's the, the center of origins and guardians, uh, where the guardians train the origins. Um, Cyan, uh, short for cyanite, uh, a trained fulcrum operative on a road trip with an advanced origin named Alabaster. Uh, and third, Essen, uh, the mother from the opening lines and a former fulcrum operative on a road trip to find her daughter, Nasun, and avenge her son, Uke, by killing her husband. Yeah. And I... And I Somehow made it actually sound happier than the book actually is, and that, that was already <laughs> yeah. kind of kind of sad. Okay, um, Kyo, do you want to give the spoiler then? Oh no, 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 that's that's a good one. You, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Where we're, I love following the three stories, and I oh, so good because I you open with a mother who's just basically catatonic for a week over the death of her son, but she knows basically her son was killed because he had the power that she had, and she knew he had it, but he was a child. And children, ch uh, origins that are children 
having, you know, they have an instinctive ability to stop a seismic event. And what happens is um, the sun prevents a rupture from destroying their town. But because, you know, it emanates from where their house is, everyone, obviously his father, witnessed him do it. And so because of the, the terrible fear that people have of these powers, the father, uh, it's pretty obvious the father has killed his son out of fear of what his son might do. Uh, almost as instinctively as his son stopped this earthquake. So it's a it's an incredibly heart-wrenching way to start a story with the death of a child and a mother wailing over her son's death and knowing that she, you know, bursting with anger at her husband, who she knows is responsible, yet also needing to protect her daughter, who is now disappeared. So the opening chapter, you know, we have a, a dead child, we have a missing daughter and a husband and a mother who needs to escape now from her own town who's suspecting her herself of being an origin now, guilty by association, and all because their town was spared. Their town was spared a cataclysmic event that hit everyone else, and they know, oh, we must have one of these people, one of these origins in our town, and it must be here. So uh, all this happens right off the bat. There's no slow, you know, slow buildup. This is, the mother's story is, is extremely tragic from the from the get go, and in, in fact tied in with that uh, in the opening chapter we have an unnamed man mm. uh, who is an origin uh, standing with a stone eater, which are these kind of weird like almost alien creatures who are made out of stone, mm. um, and they they talk a little bit and um, say some cryptic things, and then the the man reaches out and rips the world in half. I think is the way yep. that uh, she describes it. Yeah, uh, standing outside the most populous city on this planet. And literally just tears it in half, killing millions. Um, so we see you know, two world endings. One in which it's this person's world ending on a personal level, and the second on this kind of cataclysmic level. Um, and both are happening at the same moment. And that's kind of keying us into the chronology. Uh, and then we start to learn about Demaya yeah. and Cyan. But and, and I, li- I do like that it's not difficult to get. You know, um, Jemison, I think she smartly put together some words that she reuses, and she... Yeah. And she doesn't just like throw you into something expecting you to get it. You're not going to have to reread the same sentence 50 times to say, well, okay, there's a stone eater. And a... you just read the story as it comes to you. And I think especially with themes like uh, The Lost of a Child and uh, Revenge, which is al- always a-, a quick way to get somebody moving when they-, they know they have to. And also rescue. So it's revenge, rescue, and uh, preservation of self, you know. So, so so let me spoil it if that's okay, and then uh, sum up kind of the, the rest of the novel uh, real quickly, and then we can dive into little moments. Um, so big spoiler, I, I kind of set it up just by talking about these three characters and putting them all together and giving them parallel structures. Uh, but the spoiler is uh, they're all the same person. Uh, what happened was Demaya endures Shafa's abusive training, uh, her guardian, and then uh, enters the fulcrum. She's a little girl. Uh, where yeah. she's going to become trained, and then when she gets trained, she has to take on this new origin name, and the name she choose is, chooses at the end of her story is Cyanite. And that's mm. the first clue you go, oh, they're the same person. Yeah. Cyan's story is that she destroys the city, uh, discovers stone eaters, uh, lives this beautiful, amazing life with Alabaster and their son on a pirate island, has it all torn away from her, actually kills her own child to protect him, at which point she flees to a small town and takes on the name Essen. Uh, and that's where Essen's story starts. On a journey to find her daughter, Essen uh, befriends Tonki, a calmless scientist, and Hoa, a uh, stone eater who looks like a young boy. 
Uh, and the three of them eventually join an underground community of origins where Asun reunites with Alabaster, who she had thought was dead. He tells her that, by the way, I'm the dude who tore the earth in half. And Hoa reveals at the end that he has been the one who's been narrating all of this to us, the readers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which means that clearly he has some big plans that we don't know about. And we're left with a cliffhanger as Alabaster in the final lines asks Essen, have you ever heard of something called a moon? Oh, and no, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. <laughs> and this is, this is when you're, you really know, oh, this is our planet. This is our planet this whole time. Yeah. This is, you know, years, you know, thousands and thousands of years into our future. That's where the story takes place. Very possible. Very possible. Very possible. Yeah. Uh, and it, that doesn't guarantee it, but it gives you a strong hint. Uh, and it's it's fun for me how often I wondered that through reading this. Way, way before I got to the moon section, I was like, mm, one giant continent. I wonder if, uh, is it is this future or is it past? Uh, yeah. where, where, where are we headed here? What's going on? And when you're dealing with huge forces, huge geological forces, mm. it'd be okay if this were a million years in our past until you get kind of to the, the moon stuff. And then it's like, yeah. oh, I'm thinking future. Yeah, future. So, so future. But I do like, I mean, the stories themselves, the way they, they develop, I love. I love Essence's character as, she's, as she flees her town and sort of uh, destroys it as she decides, as she flees too. She's got these powers over the earth that she hasn't used in years. And she's using them now to hunt down her husband and hopefully save her pre-adolescent daughter, uh, Nason. Uh, and then she encounters this boy and so uh, that she doesn't want to take care of. He's just... He, when she encounters him at first, she thinks he's just a boy, just like a, maybe a little 10-year-old boy who has nobody to take care of. And one of the rules of the calm is that you don't take on a boy. They could be bait that a raider gang is using, or they could just slow you down, and then you could be overtaken. And she gets on the road with a bunch of other people who are also fleeing their destroyed cities and towns, and they're all trying to get as far away from the Eumenes, which is the center, the, the main city was destroyed. They're trying to get as far away from there as possible, mainly because of ash, um, toxic gas, things that could erupt from that area. Um, and they know it's going to get a lot worse. Uh, yeah. They're thinking that this is going to be get underground for decades yeah. Yeah. and literally underground. Um, yeah. Find a cave system, find some way of getting away from this. And they're thinking maybe a century. Yeah. And in this society, they, they plan for it. They plan that, yes, you have store caches that, that could last you as long as 25 years or more. Uh, that's how they, they plan things. But if something happens near your town, you have to flee it, then you just have to take your runny sack and go, I guess. Yeah. Hope yeah. And then there are whole um, kind of castes within their society that are built on how do you rebuild? What do you do during the, the fifth season? So your, your role was this one thing during the, the other four seasons, you know, when you were existing in life. And maybe if your role is this survivalist that's going to get everybody through, during the regular times, you don't have to do jack. Because everybody knows that when the world ends, it's all on you. And the world's going to end. so yeah. It's going to happen. A little, a little bit like the drones, too. Like a beehive, you know, the, yeah. they go through a tough time. They just kick all the drones out of the hive. Uh, little, yeah. There's a little bit of that, too, um, yeah. in the cast system that she set up. It's a use cast. So you have casts that are useful and some that get less useful. Like if I guess if you're not good at anything, then you are a breeder cast, maybe if you have good genes. Yeah, I mean, like it's super fun to have like a poet along, right? You know, somebody can, oh. who can tell some stories. Not during the fifth season. Yeah, we yeah. we don't we don't need a wandering poet. But thanks though. Yeah, I think she describes there being twenty or so 
use casts that are known, yeah. but only six or seven that are useful at this time yeah. Uh, yeah. of the story. So yeah, there there might be a poet cast out there somewhere or an artist cast, but the, there is an artist cast that gets introduced, I believe, in the second book. Uh, oh, okay, it might be the third that that are important. Uh, I can't remember what what they're called, uh, but yeah, they and they're they're almost like they're not quite a use cast because they're useless in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as as we slowly find out, history actually does matter a great deal, and the fact that these are the only people who really know history because there is an answer to why is all of this happening. And that can only be discovered through history. In other words, one reason that we might want to keep the poets down is because they might tell people history, mm-hmm. and then our nice system of exploitation falls apart. Yeah, and that's like one of the main themes that she's talking about here. And I, uh, the Origines are definitely an enslaved group of people, and yeah. that's the main thing to take from this. I, I like N.K. Jemison's storytelling. She writes about characters we don't see, she herself is African-American and a woman mm-hmm. and writes from that perspective. So her main characters tend not to be Caucasian, but they tend to be diverse, um, yeah. especially physically. Uh, and some of her other stories she's written about characters who describe themselves as being short and terrible, you know, not terrible, but like difficult to manage hair and, you know, overweight, you know, you know uh, very unflattering things that you don't normally read in a fantasy Right, but she writes that way. Um, she includes uh, uh, lesbian characters into her stories. Quite a few. She writes about sex. She loves to write about sex, and I think she writes about sex better than just about anyone I know. Yeah, um, because uh, we we talked a little bit about this earlier. Yeah, I, I know that during the first ten minutes of getting to know each other, it's great. That it's it's not schematic, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not. And then this went here, and then this is what happened, yeah. and this is the position, and isn't that sexy? Uh, it's very impressionistic and it's very emotional um, and really, um, really cool. You don't read it all the time like that right. either. It's don't. Um, it's very refreshing to have somebody read from to, to, to read material like that from a different perspective that you're normally used to reading from a male perspective. Yeah, and she also writes about sex as duty uh, among the yes. origins they breed, uh, and it's very intentional that they would breed the more advanced origins together to get a more advanced origin and things like that. And they are not happy. They are, these are not people from a certain sector or from a certain uh, division of people that, oh, yes, we like to breed because uh, that's what we're supposed to do. They're, they're not into it, but they do it because uh, I think they're described, they describe themselves as gods in chains. They have the power to destroy the earth if they could harness that power. And yet they can be forced to now go have a baby with this guy because we, we, want, we want that to happen. You won't get to raise that child, but that's your duty. So that even in that's if you um, if you're one of the lucky ones who's actually seen as having potential that they want to exploit, then you're chosen to be one of the ones that okay, well, we want you to breed. So it's uh, it's very much a story about enslavement and fighting this culture that would enslave a group of people like that. We find out that. Um if you are incredibly powerful, uh, you know, we, we see people get um, kicked out of the fulcrum at different times. And we're thinking yes. like, oh, they just weren't successful. They have to go out on the streets to live or whatever like that. And yet <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's, it's actually the, the strongest that are kicked out of the fulcrum. Uh, it's not necessarily the people who are weak or even who, who lack to control necessarily. But we slowly discover what's happening to these people is they are being put in these stations where they will control geology and they will pacify things. And they're drugged so that they will constantly be like just controlling minor earthquakes 
all around them, and they're just in a constant state, kind of coma-type state, um, yeah. where people are just putting more and more drugs into them. Uh, and they're like zombies or something. It's yeah. it's horrific. Like uh, lobot- and the, a lobotomized person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, just the most basic thing used used as a as a device. Yeah, made made into a device and not a person. Yeah. And it, and at one point, um, Cyan has this realization that this loveless sex that they're having to breed more origins that's what they're producing. Uh, yeah. It's not necessarily the the cool fulcrum agents with their rings and stuff like that. It's these they're they're making devices and alabaster who's been at this a lot longer than her has seen so many of his children become this um it's it's really horrific um yeah when they encounter that it's a it's a shocking scene that i wasn't expecting this to read in a book like this and then then you you come to realize that there are parts of their society that have advancements but they've only basically kept scientific type advancements in areas that would maintain the control that the fulcrum has over the rest of society. Yeah. Um, so you can see that if you are in control of protecting people from disaster, that you can wield quite a bit of power over them. And that's exactly what they do. But their power is all at the expense of enslavement and, and torture, basically, of, of a group of people. So that's, that's why we follow the story of this group of people, the origins. Yeah. I do like that... Uh, that Essen with Hoa in tow, the boy, they, they do encounter something new. They encounter uh, a small new calm that she's never seen before. And it's a calm full of origins. Yeah. Origins, the derogatory term for an origin is a raga, uh, which is a dirty word for an origin, a raga. And this group of comms takes on raga as their use cast. Yeah. And they're not just origins, but a lot of them are. So they're origins and origin friendly people who want to survive and that's pretty entertaining when uh, uh Essen encounters this group because they're like her people who origins who have maybe hidden their uh, abilities or you know had to had to hide them and they see this cataclysmic event as a chance for them to maybe start something different start something new a society of origins you know that can protect themselves band together protect themselves from the non origins the non uh, the stillheads yeah. Yeah. Still heads. Yeah. Stills. So uh, maybe we'll uh, move now into kind of our own experience reading the novel and then yeah. uh, into the overall themes. Uh, did you have any kind of interesting – were you reading this at an interesting moment in your life? Did it connect with you in a particular way? When I was reading it, I just liked her language, um, the way geology is based. It's a geology-based society. It's different from other sci-fi or fantasy that it didn't seem based in one world. And I love it when a writer can do that. They can bring you into a different world and it makes sense to you. You can appreciate the difference of standards and what's your values that are different in this culture. And it makes sense completely. While also you can see some similarities to your own. And I, I just enjoy that. And I, I like her writing. I like how she describes her characters. Um, she's got a, a very particular way of writing that is interesting to read. And even, even for maybe you know quirky reasons, she, she often describes how a person has their mouth set, their jaw, the jaw is clenched or it's set and, or it tightens or it flexes. And I wonder, I wonder how much of this is her own self in person. Like, mm-hmm. is, is this a new way of, of, of reading people's emotions by watching their, you know, different parts of their face. She doesn't describe eyes or, you know, the stance so much as jaws, you know, yeah. you know, her, her characters are often, you know, described as, uh, 
it's all their emotion can be read by by the set of their mouth. You know, they smile. The guardians smile. Yes, um, but only with their mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we learn why. We learn about why they smile so much. But it's an eerie thing. Guardians are creepy, creepy people. Um, that's that's yeah. just. They are some of the most terrifying. Yeah. Groups in uh, kind of monsters in literature, and they're not because they don't look monstrous. You know, there's nothing. Yeah. In that sense, but that just that constant smile. Yeah, they would look like superheroes, but creepy superheroes with yeah. eerie, always smiling, always smiling. And they're yeah, you you learn why uh, at some point, but it's sad. I think and that's terrible. I'm trying to trying to hold off. I think that's in the second book. Yeah, uh, yeah, or maybe even the third that we learn about that. But yeah, at this point, it's just creepy. It's a creepy thing that they do. They're brutal. Yeah. So I read this. Um, yeah. I read the entire trilogy in my daughter's hospital room. So my daughter Harper was born last October with uh, a heart condition uh, called TGA. Uh, it's where the uh, the great arteries, transposition of the great arteries. You've got um, the aorta and the pulmonary artery. You know, going the body and going to the lungs uh, switch. Um, and because of that, you end up with two rather than a nice open system where uh, oxygenated blood is going one way and deoxygenated another. Now you've got two closed systems where they're not mixing, and so oxygen is not going to the rest of her body. So. Yeah. It, you know, if you or I had been born with it, we, we likely would not still be here. Uh, but because of medical advancements over the last few decades, um, it, they've actually got a pretty high success rate, uh, 95% uh, survivability, uh, which sounds great, except uh, I play D&D. So when I heard that news, all I could think is don't roll a critical one because yeah. it's literally one in 20. Yeah. And if you play D&D, you know that once a night somebody rolls a critical one. That's not – unheard of it gives you a much better feeling of statistics and you go five percent is a real thing that that yeah. happens yeah. so this was young absolutely the most terrifying time in my life uh to sit next to my daughter's bed uh while she was in the hospital for about a month it was uh, 27 days um yeah. and especially during that first week before her surgery really wondering am i am i making the most of this time because this might be the only time that i have with her and and not wanting to leave because of that um because she could die at any moment. She crashed and went into respiratory failure multiple times. And it, it wasn't until probably a week later that I realized just how bad she was among TGA kids, uh, that things had gone really poorly in a lot of ways. Um, by the way, uh, doing great now. Everything's wonderful. Yeah, she is down to just one medication, and it's just to uh, start fixing a, a mild arrhythmia. Yeah. So everything's great. She's going to be a great normal kid with a cool scar and a cool story. Yeah. Um, but this book was interesting because I, I mean, if, if you kind of reflect on this, you might think like, wow, this book is so dark. Why would you read something like that? It opens with a child's death. Why would you read that at this time? And it was because at that time I was, I was facing that trauma really head on. There was no running from it. And I didn't want to because I needed to be there with her. And so in those moments where I'm just sitting there, sitting reading about someone else's trauma, it felt good to to have to process along with the characters, uh, process different things, but process trauma. And I just found it a, a really um, powerful time in my life. This this book, I, I think more than just about any other book series, uh, really has this kind of moment in my life because of when I read it, um, that, that it actually was therapeutic. It really was something that helped me process the trauma that I was going through. Did you feel, I mean, the characters, a lot of times they have this, an anger or uh, there's a scene with Demaya as a girl where Shafa, her guardian decides 
he's going to show her the control that she needs to have over herself by breaking her hand. And just the anger and the helplessness that she experiences, and yet he's the only person in her life because everyone, including her own family, would rather she were dead or never existed. So this person who's her abuser and this pain that she's gone through and she feels helpless, how did you feel? How did you relate with that story or what, what did you think yeah. when you read that story? Yeah, there's a lot of violence against children in this book. Um, yeah. And I, I felt such a desire to, to reach out and, and protect them mm-hmm. in some way. And it was – that's not usually necessarily my feeling. Normally it would be more just like icky, like, oh, violence against children, not a big fan, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, squeamishness, but it was, I think it was rooted in this impotence that I had of helping my daughter, of having to just lean on everyone else and be like, well, you're the doctor, you know, I I don't, but I will be here and I will ask questions to make sure she gets the best help she needs, but I can't, I can't do anything here. And I I think there was almost something inspiring of watching Demaya Cyan Essun as a character, the the strength that she had. In other words, I don't want to say she didn't need me to protect her. She needed, especially as a child, she needed parents. But Mm -hmm. the realization that even if I can't protect her, she can depend on her own strength. That's, that's my own feeling about, uh, my daughter is just seeing this huge well of strength in her. So even though I have this intense desire to protect her, uh, to do these kinds of things, the big learning for me is, is letting her fight for herself, letting her show her strength through. One of the conversations I had with the doctor, uh, the first night actually, uh, right after she was born, as we were learning this, and I tried to like little levity in there, uh, said something about, um, you know, okay, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let her be a, a track star. I'm not going to let her do, run any marathons. Um, and uh, the doctor said, um, you, uh, you let her do whatever she wants to do. Yeah. She'll tell you if she can handle it. Yeah. And it was so inspiring to me in that moment to be corrected in that way. Um, one, to just nip it in the bud on day one, this idea that I'm going to protect her and keep her from all this stuff. Yeah. But two, the idea that like maybe she can be a track star. You don't know that. When I'm already kind of treating my child like she's a, a fragile egg. Is a really good thing for me to hear. Yeah, sounds like it was a yeah. It's a a good, a, probably a great series for you to read during that time. Absolutely, um, it was uh, it was amazing. And for other readers, I mean, the series itself. I mean, I think the addition of the the boy who we don't know is a stone eater. We don't know he's millennia's old. We don't. He's that ancient. We don't realize that at the time. But the introduction of this boy that comes into Essence life is. Uh, you know, it's it's difficult for her to accept because he reminds her of uh, the boy that she lost when she's, you know, he's filthy when she encounters him. And she, you know, like he's just covered with dirt and she knows, well, I have to bathe this child. And just the act of doing that reopens this wound she has. But she decides to take care of him anyway, you know, which is, uh, I think, the first glimmer that you get that she's going to be OK. She She has hope enough, even in this disaster that's overtaken their world that she's going to protect this young boy that she must have more hope than than she knows that she has in the future at least and uh and with all you know you kind of need it because with all the you know she's missing her daughter and her son is gone you need that sort of childlike character in the story and that's what hoa's character provides so it's it's not all just adults and you know and and poor children and uh, even the, the Demaya character is fun to read as well. If you enjoy uh, Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, um, you're going to love 
her story when she gets to the fulcrum and starts learning about her powers um, and meets other children with her same gifts or different gifts similar to hers. Um, that, that her whole story is, is very interesting to read about. And cause you're learning how these th- powers actually work. Who are these people? Who are they really? So the first novel has to cover a lot of ground, but it does a very good job. I feel of, of introducing the world, the environment, their, the influences that have shaped this environment and also the characters and how, how they work, you know, while also, you know, not just throwing it all out, but, you know, leading you on quite a bit, especially say with the, uh, the narration done by Hoa, that's a fun, um, uh, reveal when they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it really, it, it throws you for a loop cause it, you get this vibe throughout the book that the, the narrator is a character yeah. and you're not sure why that's going on. You're like, is that just this weird kind of formal tick that yeah. Jemison has where she makes the narrator feel more like a person in some way speaking to you? Yeah. Yeah. Really speaking to, to me yeah. as a reader. And then at the end of the book, when you realize that Hoa is the narrator, and he's, uh, you realize that the the reader, the listener, is is a character as well. And you're not sure who yet, but you're like, oh, there's there there's something here. You can, I think you can start to put it together pretty quickly and figure out that the the reader is the um, Demaya Essen Cyan person. You know, the that it's it's her at some point in the future, and and why she needs to be told all this is a really big question because it's her life. Why are you telling me my life story? And that's not revealed until the end of book three, um, Mm -hmm. which is amazing to hold off on that particular twist, but really, really pretty freaking phenomenal. So it's a great series, especially since there's a third book, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the King killer Chronicles. I'm waiting for book three. It's been 10 years. Uh, Here you go. You got a, you got a trilogy that's, Finished. It is done. All done. In the can. Go. You can read book one to book three, uh, and you can be like me, and then start rereading it now that you know where it's going to kind of really enjoy the the scenes more uh, with more understanding now. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's I think it's fantastic that she's able to churn out these. It's. I mean, it seems we're in an era where you know you get your book deal, you get your movie deal, you get your TV deal, and the last book is garbage. You know, it hasn't been right. finalized or anything. And all NK, I've read some of NK Jemison's own thoughts on her own writing, and uh, even for this series, I think after her, her her first talk to her her editor was just destroy the whole thing. You know, she said destroy it, just burn the Dropbox, any copies left of it, drop it in the ocean, just make sure it never sees the light of day. Because she thought her own story was that poor early on, <laughs> but luckily, uh, you know she turned it around and yeah. um, you know, it's a, it's a great series and it's enjoyable because there is an end to it. You know, this isn't like watching uh, uh, you know, a, a TV series that has no end and will never have an end cause it'll get canceled. This is a book series that's completely finished and it's very satisfying to read. So yeah. yeah. Can't uh, recommend it. Can't recommend it enough. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. We were talking about going through some themes, but I think we kind of handled them pretty well. So yeah. Unless there's anything you want to touch on, I do want to remind people before we get out of here, um, Mm -hmm. we're going to read uh, The Obelisk Gate next. Uh, So you you got about a month to get into that. And uh, if this has been your first exposure and you allowed yourself to get spoiled, don't worry. There are tons of twists and turns to go. It's worth reading. Uh, And it's worth reading um, the the fifth season, even knowing what's going to happen, because it's such a a fulfilling story and such a thrilling book. But yeah, I'd say now's a great time to jump in. Uh, Any other themes you wanted to talk about? I, I think I could save it for the next book. Yeah, there's there's a lot about N.K. Jemison. I'd love I'd love to hear you know be able to talk about 
whether or not she got the her third Hugo in a row, which is yeah, fantastic, fantastic feat if it happens. So fingers crossed for her. I'm, uh, I'm going to curse her by just saying, you know what? Congratulations. Oh, uh, no. Congratulations, yeah. M.K. Jemison, on, oh, on your third Hugo in a row. Uh, I don't want to ruin it for her, but I just have such high hopes and, and belief uh, yep. that she will get it. Yeah. Uh, very enjoyable story. I, I recommend reading it. I know it sounds like it was it's very dark, but I guarantee there is a lot of humor and as well. But it is uh, j- just a really, really well-written story that, that takes you. And, and I just love the story structure itself is fantastic. The reveals are great. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Fifth season. Fifth season. It's so good. All right. Thanks for listening to The Overread, a part of the Overthink Podcast Network. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the Podcast Network. And if you're really feeling generous, go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us in a big way and would help us create more content to share with you as well. As always, you can check out our website at theoverthink.com. Uh, our handle on Twitter is at OverthinkPod and uh, pretty much everywhere else. So uh, hit us out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. All that helps us out by spreading the word. We're always interested in hearing from listeners, so uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you think of the show, if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Uh, maybe even if you want to suggest some topics you want us to cover on a po- future podcast, our email address is overthinkpod at gmail.com. You can let us know, um, by the way, any future books you'd like us to read uh, on the Overread, uh, any book series, uh, or questions, comments, concerns about the Obelisk Gate, our next book. Until next time, then, uh, I'm Jason signing off, and uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for stopping by.